Kizzy's Friday Game Changers, taking your business to the next level. Coming up on Kizzy's Friday Game Changers. I really believe that we're all here to give our gifts to the world, do the best we can, do the most that we can, um, and and then leave a legacy so it goes on. So it's so you're not just here for whatever period you're here. You're you're putting the seeds in the soil that after your time is up, there's still a lot of you know a lot of growth and coming out of that soil that continues to help people, and then. Our journey on Earth will have been, in my opinion, worthwhile because it's bigger than each of us, and it goes on for a lot longer than whatever period of time we have here, and um, and that's the real to me that's the meaning of、uh, this opportunity we have being alive. Hi, this is Ray Zen, and I'm here with you on Kizzy's Friday Game Changer. Hi, this is Storm McGrewer, digital marketing speaker, author, and trainer, and founder of business consult Digital Academy. Now, I've been in business for 20 years, and I can honestly say that my biggest shift was when I really understood my customer. And this may sound like really, really simple advice, but when I started honing in on my target customer, my ideal customer, and really concentrating on what the immediate problems were, the burning concerns, and their key focus. That's when I started to really make a shift and revolutionise the success of my own business. So simple as it is, I can assure you that many business owners and marketers don't put this into practice at the beginning. So this big shift was the way that I actually marketed, and it was all about building rapport and relationships. And instead of trying to market the whole business and actually put a proposition out there about the product or service, it was actually about stopping selling, and it was about finding out from the customer. What was the issue, the, the the burning concern that they needed solving at that time, and providing a solution? So the sorts of content that we started creating were added value, tips,、um, branded content that was around the the subject matter, and this is when we really started to get the connection, the engagement, and the interaction. So my best advice is find out who your ideal customer is. Really focus on what is the, the demand there for the product and service in terms of what is their pain or problem, and using tools like Google to actually assess what people are searching for, matching and constructing and creating content that helps solve or provide advice around that situation will really help establish your business and nurture that person through to ultimately becoming a paying customer. Welcome to Kizzy's Friday Game Changers with your host Kizzy Quadja, the show for innovators and motivators, people just like you. Kizzy is the publisher of Business Game Changer magazine and the property investor, editor of the successful Women in Business book series and the best-selling Every Entrepreneur's Guide series. Every week, Kizzy and his guests provide you with the tools you need to take your game-changing business to the next level. Listen, learn, and innovate. Now meet your host, your mentor, and your fellow game changer, Kizzy Quadja. Hello, welcome to Kizzy's Friday Game Changers. This week on Kizzy's Friday Game Changers, we're doing something a little bit different. Now, a few weeks ago, we asked our followers on Twitter if they ran a successful business and if they had a song they'd like us to play on the show. Now, we were contacted by an agency who said they had the perfect client. His name is David Frangioni. David's an established game-changing business leader and also an accomplished musician. Intrigued, we asked him to send us some tracks for us to listen to. They did, we did, and we were blown away. So much so that after listening to his second track, we decided to scrap the show we had in mind. Throw everything out the window and produce a Kizzy's Friday Game Changer special featuring none other than David Frangioni and his music. In just a few minutes, we'll be talking to David about his business strategy, his love for music, and his passion for excellence. It's Friday. I'm Kizzy, and this is Kizzy's Friday Game Changers. Listen, learn, and innovate. Hi, I'm Jamie Martin from Ideal Shopping Direct, and my Fridays wouldn't be complete without Kizzy's Game Changer Show. 
Hello, welcome to the show. This week's game-changing innovator, David Frangioni, is an award-winning veteran of the music industry. Now, he built a groundbreaking music tech consultancy business, working with the likes of Aerosmith, uh, The Stones, Ringo Starr, who else? Elton John and Sting, among many, many others. David's also the CEO and co-founder of artist development firm All Access IDA and CEO and founder of groundbreaking technology company Audio One. Described by many as a modern-day renaissance man, David is also also co-founder of ProTroolsTraining.com, an online business that provides you with all the knowledge you need to record, mix, and complete a basic Pro Tools session. David, it's fantastic to have you with us. Thank you. It's great to be here. I'm just wondering, is there anything in the music world that you haven't accomplished, David? Oh, yeah, there's tons of stuff. Um, you know, I mean, it's that that's one of the things about the music world that's so exciting is that, you know, if you do, if you're able to climb a mountain, um, it reveals many more that you need to climb from there. And so every day is exciting and interesting. No two days are ever the same. So lots, lots to do every day and for the rest of my life. And hopefully leave a legacy that will inspire people past that. What a brilliant concept. I love that idea. Absolutely. Um, t- t- tell me about Inspire and Develop Artists, IDA. How did that come about? Well, it started with the idea, um, the, the co-founder of the original IDA program we had was Rudy Perez, a uh, billboard producer of the decade, a brilliant songwriter, producer, legend, really. Um, and he and I came up with this idea that we were going to take what originally was like what a, an artist needs all encompassing and present it in like a boot camp or a, or a very consolidated program. And we did that. We did that for a few years and it would be anywhere from two days to 10 days and the artist in that period of time would would talk to you know a very successful music business attorney, a promotions person. Um, they'd get a photo taken. They'd do some co-writing. They'd visit a studio, and on and on and on. And, and basically, all the different elements that um, are comprised of an of a successful artist's career, they got a, a sense of and knowledge of. And in many many cases, we found those artists didn't realize that half the people they were meeting were even needed as part of their career because they'd never been exposed to that. Most artists know their their art, but they don't know a lot about the rest of what we'll call the music business and industry. And we loved doing those seminars and programs. And then uh, we decided to each, you know, kind of do our, our own thing, if you will. And so I started All Access IDA and went in a different direction. If we do seminars, it'll always be with Rudy and me. But as, as a company, All Access IDA is based around taking one artist at a time and essentially providing the team and the resources that that artist needs in order to take their career to whatever plateau they want to take it to. So these are artists that can self-fund, but they don't have a team and they don't know what that team even needs to consist of in a lot of cases. And, um, and it, so they don't know how to put a plan together and they don't know how to put a budget together as to what it's going to take to go from A to B to C to D, etc. And that's what All Access IDA does. And we've been very successful and are very successful at doing it and really uh, putting together the right plan for each artist's needs because they're all different. I'm wondering just what reaction um, the industry had when they found out more about what All Access IDA was all about. Because from what you're saying, it sounds as though you're redressing the imbalance and empowering the artists, which to many may sound like bad news for the for the industry or for the industry huge companies. Well, it's great news because they don't have to do it. Um, and in a lot of cases, they don't have the resources or the time to do it. For Of course, they, in, in every case, they don't have the time to do it for all artists. They have the time and energy and resources to do it for some artists. The ones that they sign and feel are their A-list artists. Um, this is for 
an artist that believes in themselves and believes that they can take it as far as they want to and and um, they just need the the help and so it's it's a it's a good thing for the industry and it doesn't really compete in any way with the industry it's um it's just another resource available to artists and um, you know more tools in their toolbox uh, to be able to take them out and and really create their art without having to be an expert in all the things that they're not an expert in. It's hard enough to write a great song and to really take your craft and your art as far as you can. All the rest of the things that go into taking that art to the world and making an impact are not usually in the core competency of most artists, and nor should they be, because they really, in some cases, even conflict with the creative process, but they're necessary. And they have to happen. They have to be part of the plan to to take your art to the world because the business of the music business is very real and has very uh, specific protocols and and planning that's required um, in order to you know go up the steps. I know that um, as an outsider looking in on the industry, we've we often hear these horror stories of um, contracts that artists, particularly young artists, have been encouraged to sign, um, which uh, normally you'd think, my God, why weren't they represented properly? So if if an artist was given an offer to contract for them to sign, would it be natural for them to come to you to, for you can so you can have a look at the contract and you can advise them on the best course of action? Absolutely. And, and we don't, see, what you just said is exactly what happens in a lot of cases. And so the, the formula of all access IDA is we're work for hire. There is no there is no percentage that we get for anything that we do uh, with the artist. So they hire us, we do our work, we execute the plan, um, and when we finish the plan, they keep going on, and they don't they're not connected to us contractually um, with any percentages or anything like that. So it really is a completely different model. Um, it protects the artist and um, and and gives them the rights to their own material, which they should have. You sound like um, a paradox because you, oh, I know a lot about your musical background. And as I said in my intro, I've heard your music and completely amazed. And you also have this sharp business sense as well. Um, how would you describe yourself? Are you a businessman or are you a musician or are you a hybrid of both? Yes. <laughs> That's it. I... I love business. I love music. Um, you know, I I don't really know which, you know, it, you would call me or I'm better at or any of that. I just do them all to the fullest extent. My philosophy is go big or go home, you know. And so, you know, either, you know, when I started playing the drums at two and then taking lessons at eight, I didn't have a drum set. Uh, my drum set consisted of whatever surfaces I could find from phone books to pillows to tabletops. And I took drum set lessons and practiced on the, on the pillows and the phone books um, in lieu of having a kit. It didn't stop me from practicing. My point is that there's always a way forward. And what you have to do is make a commitment and a decision that this is what you're doing, that you're in, that this is it. And everything that I've ever decided I'm doing and I'm in, I commit to and I take it as far as I can. So I think that's what's led to having business experience and successes and music experiences creatively as a musician, a producer, engineer, technologist, all the creative side of stuff. Also having success is that it's all or nothing. It's that all-in ideology, isn't it? You, you commit and you decide and you do it. That's right. And you actually do the work. Uh, I've worked very, very hard and I still do. There's no substitute for it. Hard work must be a, a major component of anything that you're going to do that you want to achieve and and have success with there's no way around it and then within the hard work needs to be smart work and needs to be planning and time management and efficient uh you know workflows and consistency and that's very very important um you know when i started my career 
in the 80s, the early to mid 80s. And, you know, here I am, here we are now, right, in 2019, about to hit 2020. Um, and, you know, a lot of my competition in the early days isn't around anymore. Maybe there's some new competition. Maybe there isn't. The point is that just by being consistent and persistent, uh, you know, you, you get far before, you know, so I take the hard work and you add a good plan to it and you can go really far. Okay. So don't mind me. I'm just taking some notes down here. I've got a note that says, my mate David says, consistency and hard work works. Would that, would that be accurate, you think? It does. It is accurate and it's true. All right. Okay. Let's go back to the early years. Um, what were the initial challenges getting All Access IDA off the ground and how did you overcome them? Well, uh, All Access IDA started, I guess, essentially about four years ago. The IDA program started about six years ago, seven years ago, and then the All Access IDA grew out of that, as we talked about. And, um, you know, the challenge is, I think the biggest challenge with that particular company is that we're behind the scenes. So it's it's one of those things that it's almost like a, a ghost coach in a sense where all of the work that we're doing to help develop is not something that you go out and you share with people because it's very intimate and it's very private. So it's it's challenging in that you have to describe what you do and be out there so clients can find you and know that you're available to help them and in what capacity, but yet you really can't show them very many case studies or promote the case studies because it's a behind-the-scenes thing. It's almost, in a, in a strange way, it's almost like if you taught a magician, you know, how to do certain things, uh, you know, you couldn't, you're not going to go out and say, hey, this is what I showed them. That would blow the whole thing. Mm. Uh, this is very, this is behind the scenes. This is developmental. This is, you know, no, I don't think it's any different than if you went to college, you know, your professor isn't going to put your, you know, the, the work that he's tutoring you with up online and tell everybody that, oh, the reason he passed the math test is because I tutored him. It's intimate. And that's what all access IDA does for the most part. And so, that's a big challenge, and we're still, you know, trying to crack the code on, you know, how do you get to to the clients that you, you know, that you serve and want to serve, um, and you know, and not be able to utilize any of your successes. Mm. You know, all, it's you know, see, so you, you see how it's a little tricky, but I do. know, we're doing it and we're persevering, and we have a good word of mouth, and it's a very kind of inside business to business. Uh, type of company and um, you know I just my focus is always on serving over deliver uh, under promise and the rest will work itself out you'd imagine that in a perfect world the uh, record labels that you negotiate with or you deal with would see it in their interest to refer artists to you because people like you would ensure that the negotiation uh, process is a much more um, is a much more fluid one and it's a much more stress free if if they have proper representation. Well, without a doubt, I mean it's so important. It's such a must. Um, the fluidity is it's for sure. But what creates the fluidity is the fact that you now have a team, you have a safety net, you have a game plan, you know, all of the blanks are filled in. And the thing is, with most artists, they don't even know what half the blanks are to fill in, which makes perfect sense. Think about it, you know, I mean, think about a business that you might be passionate about. I mean, what if you loved food and you were an amazing cook and your dream was to have a restaurant? Would you all of a sudden know exactly how to open and run a restaurant and make it successful, even though you have, you know, you're incredible with your cooking and your food and everything else? You wouldn't necessarily know that. So it's a whole side of things that is, you know, it's it's no different in the music business. Uh, you know, you 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 know how to write great songs, uh, you know how to sing and perform. But you want to be better at all three of those things, get better songs, be a better performer, be a better singer or the best singer you can be. 
And then on top of that, now you have to have a business around that. People have to hear the songs. You have to get to the people. They have to hear the songs. They have to see your image. They have to go to your shows. They have to buy your merch. You have to be promoted correctly. You have to have the right contracts in place. So as things start to become more and more successful, you have everything already sorted. And all of these things are, uh, you know, hugely important. And that's, you know, part of what all access IDA provides. So it's incredibly beneficial to an artist. What would you say was the one strategy that's helped you build a successful business? Uh, I would say there's a lot of them, right? I, I mean, I think I think my core f- focus is to is in the performance of what I do and holding my team to a high level of performance. So it's not what the answer you'd expect because it's not a fancy marketing um, you know angle or or an innovative breakthrough on, you know, we did this on social media and, you know, we got all of this business. It's much more, it's, it's, a, it's just much more integral to how I believe that, um, you know, that business should be done, which is somebody trusts you to be, uh, you know, your client and you give them everything plus on what it is that they get by being your client. And I think that's, you know, that's been for over 30 years, my foundational approach to all businesses that I have. And um, it's worked. So really, it sounds as though you're trying to be everything that you didn't have or when you were starting off as a musician yourself, you didn't have anybody that you could call on that provided a sort of service that, that, that you're now offering other artists around the world. Yes, mm. that's right. Interesting, interesting. Um, I've got a note here in front of me that says, in 2003 to 2004, you gained worldwide, is this word right, notoriety as the official technologist for the Osbournes, and you appeared in multiple episodes of their MTV show. David, why were you called the Rocket Man? Oh, well, being on the Osbournes was incredible. What an experience. Because, first of all, working with uh, Sharon and Ozzy and the family, I did multiple projects. They're just, they were so nice to me and so such professionals and such great people. I'll forever be grateful to Sharon and Ozzy. Um, and Kelly and Jack and Amy, even though she wasn't on the show, we I got to know her and and help her with some projects, and they're just amazing people. Um, and the show, of course, was hysterical. And while I was building Ozzy's studio and doing some projects for the Osbournes at the house where the studio was, um, and we did some home automation, home theater projects for him as well, uh, they were filming the show. So just by being there and being a part of their world during that time, I got on the show in a few episodes. Uh, and, you know, just quick cameos, little things. But I was around it a lot, right? Regardless of whatever got on TV, I was there every day. And it was just so much fun, so inspiring, absolutely hysterical. And Ozzy, is, he could be a comedian. He's as funny as he is an amazing singer and, and artist, and um, so he would, he just saw, you know, how I was every day, I guess, you know, his interpretation of what a geek uh, looks like and works like all the time. He just kind of made a joke like, oh, you know, you're always, going to call you the rocket man. You, you know, you're only happy if you have a fuse box in your hand. And he just had a lot of fun with it. And, um, you know, he's just, just an amazing guy, very sweet guy. It sounds as though it was quite an experience. and uh, it, it was. Indescribable. Yeah. It was amazing. One of the best experiences of my life because it fused so many things. It was working with an incredible artist, working with, with people that I admired on a show that I was watching before I was introduced to Ozzy. This, the show was on for two seasons before I got involved with the Osbournes. Um, and... It, you know, all of a sudden, here I am at the house and, you know, involved in their world and doing different projects. And it was a little surreal, quite frankly. And um, I've always been an Aussie fan. I think he's an amazing artist. I love his singing and his, and his music. Uh, and so from all 
sides, it was just a really, really awesome time. I learned so much on so many levels. And, uh, and that's always, you know, one of the most fun parts of these projects is that you're getting the experience of the, the, you know, spending your life doing these awesome things that you just pinch yourself and that are really inspiring. And then on top of it all, you're, you know, you're learning so much, you know, I'm around I, icons, you know, I mean, Sharon and Ozzy, Sharon is a, is a, is a, is a creative artist herself, you know, has the talk shows and is a brilliant business person. Ozzy, you know, with his career and he's iconic and Jack is on TV and a businessman, Kelly as well, Amy. I mean, it's just there's so much that you can learn from. And um, it was awesome. Well, talking about um, inspirational experiences, I, I know that charity work is important to you as well. Um, and I understand that quite recently you were asked to be part of the Little Dreams Foundation or LDF. What does LDF do and why did you want to get involved with it? Well, I did that for about three years, um, and after that, I started my own foundation. Uh, Little Dreams Foundation is Phil and Orion Collins' um, foundation, and they go out and they audition children, and they select certain kids, and then they mentor them, and then they do. Little Dreams does a concert every year, and the kids get to perform, and it's just a wonderful way for children to have a pathway. Uh, filled with moments of inspiration and mentoring that they otherwise wouldn't have. And so Oriana and Phil Collins just are doing a great thing with Little Dreams. I was honored to be a part of it for a few years. Um, Oriana and Phil Collins are wonderful people that I, that I feel very privileged to have worked with and, and gotten to know so well. And, um, and then I went and started my own foundation, which is an adjunct foundation, we'll, we'll describe it as. It's called Frangioni Foundation. And what it does is it takes the drumming side of things, which is my real passion along with technology, and it provides resources to other foundations as they need. So, for instance, if Make-A-Wish had a child whose dream was to, uh, you know, sit behind Neil Peart's drum kit or Alex Van Halen's drum kit... We could bring them to Frangioni Foundation's Drum Museum, which is private and a, and a full nonprofit, and the child could sit behind one of those drum kits because we have them there, and we could do a master class. We could bring the drummer themselves in and meet the child. And so just so much inspiration, so much. The moments that we're talking about creating for kids, for people, um, is something that you know, when I went through the trauma, having retinoblastoma as a child at two years old, I had to remove my right eye, and I had a very traumatic childhood. Um, and when I went through that period and felt very scared and, um, and for a while even hopeless, um, you know, I realized later on in life that if if the next time a child goes through that, we can be there for them with Frangioni Foundation and and whether there's another foundation involved or not, be there for them and provide that comfort, that solace, that that inspiration, um, that moment in their life that is really meaningful and will affect them in a positive and nurturing way for the rest of their lives and their family and friends' lives who are associated and, uh, and that's, you know, that's bigger than just me. And that's what I wanted to create with Frangioni Foundation. And I wanted to go on past my life. I really believe that we're all here to give our gifts to the world, do the best we can, do the most that we can, um, and, and then leave a legacy so it goes on. So, it's, so you're not just here for whatever period you're here. You're, you're putting the seeds in the soil that after your time is up, there's still a lot of you know, a lot of growth in coming out of that soil that continues to help people. And then our journey on earth will have been, in my opinion, worthwhile because it's bigger than each of us. And it goes on for a lot longer than whatever period of time we have here. And, um, and that's the real, to me, that's the meaning of uh, this opportunity we have being alive. 
And so that's why I started it. You almost sound like this new breed of entrepreneurs. I think they call they philanthropic entrepreneurs, you know, people with a, a social conscience as well. Would you describe yourself as one of those, uh, a social entrepreneur, a philanthropic entrepreneur? Philanthropic, yes. Yeah, ph philanthropy is important to me. Um, and it's a private foundation. So, you know, we're not trying to sell tickets to the museum or anything like that. I mean, we're, we're just trying to make a difference and help kids uh, at a time when they need it most. And um, hopefully we'll be able to do that with, you know, as, as many kids as, you know, that need it. Very inspiring. Um, I guess this would be a good time to take a quick music break and listen to some of your music. Um, the songs we're going to play will be Benor and Over You. Can you tell us a little bit about these two songs? Well, the song by Ben Orr is part of a group of songs that I produced, mixed, engineered, kind of did everything other than sing and play. I played the drums on them too, but the other instruments, of course, I didn't play. Um, and so that was, that was Ben Orr's second solo album, which hasn't been released yet. We're trying to get it sorted so we can release it. We did it years ago. I did it in the 90s. And, um, of course, Ben died very untimely uh, from cancer. And, uh, you know, those songs just came out really, really well. And I'm very, uh, you know, I really want the world to hear them. And I was, you know, it was another moment in my life that uh, is very meaningful, working all those months in the studio with Ben. We worked really, really hard. We had a great team of musicians and, um, you know, people on that project. And Over You is a song I did with an artist named Vida. Uh, and uh, she's a great artist, great singer and songwriter. And we co-wrote the song and I produced it and again played uh, the drums and programmed on it and then brought in some great people to um, also play. In fact, we had Dave Weckl play the live drums on it and I did the program drums to be specific. And um, just, you know, just to really, you know, just songs that i really like well i've been listening to them and i think they're brilliant i love them let's have a listen
Get in touch with Kizzy's Friday Game Changers by emailing FridayGameChangers at email.com and follow us on Twitter by searching for Kizzy's Friday Game Changers. I'm Johnny Combe, CEO of Pay by Phone UK, and my Friday would not be complete without Kizzy's Friday Game Changers. Oh, honey, I don't wish you any bad luck. of Zip Us In and I love listening to Kizzy's Friday Game Changers. Game Changer Show. Game Changer Show. Game Changer Show. Adios. <laughs> Welcome back. Before the break, you're listening to Do You Know What It Feels Like by my guest David Frangioni and Over You. And I'm in the studio talking to David. David, we're at my favorite part of the show. Now, this is a section we call Past, Present, and Future. Now, what this means is that I'm going to ask you three questions about your business past, your business present, and your future. And if we get this right, if we get this right, the answers will give us a unique insight into the mind 
of game changer David Frangioni. Are you are you game for this? Let's go. Excellent. Okay, now you've got to imagine you can hear a clock ticking in the background. That's the sound of time passing by, second after second. Imagine yourself traveling back in time to meet the young David Frangioni just starting out on his entrepreneurial journey. What one thing would you tell David to make sure he does? And what one thing would you tell him to make sure he doesn't do? I would say make sure that he always does a great job on every project that he does and pick the projects that are right for you. That makes sense because I, I know that when we're starting out, we, we there's a tendency to try and do as much as you possibly can. And sometimes saying no can be quite difficult. That's right. And sometimes saying no is the best yes that you'll ever have in your gut by saying, I'm not going to take this and I'm going to wait for the right project and the right client and the right fit. And I think that's a, that's a, I think that's a big one to learn. Um, and, and also something, so I think that's what you should do and what you shouldn't do in one answer. Excellent. I like this. This man is so concise. We'll be out of, we'll be out of here in a few seconds. Um, <laughs> okay, let's, let's slip along to the present. What or who inspires you? What or who gives you energy and inspiration? Well, there's many people that inspire me, uh, without a doubt. Um, and I'm working now, I'm, I'm collaborating and, on projects and also taking drum lessons from the world's best drum educator, a drummer named Dom Femularo. And Dom Femularo has been on the cover of my magazine that I publish, I'm the publisher of Modern Drummer, world's number one drum magazine, which we haven't talked about that, but I got made publisher of Modern Drummer earlier this year, which is one of the greatest honors in my life. And um, to be the steward of that magazine now with an incredible, incredible team and, uh, and, a, and a history that is just uh, so important to drumming and, and always will be. And Dom Famularo actually graced the cover of Modern Drummer a few years ago. And he's, he spent his life learning from the greats and then teaching thousands and thousands of students how those greats learned to play the drums and made them great. Buddy Rich, Joe Morello, Jim Chapin, Louis Belson, Max Roach, the list goes on and on. And so Don Femularo has is really an incredible inspiration because not only is he giving me the tools that I need to take my drumming to the next level and that when I studied with Joe Morello myself as a teenager and then went on as a music technologist to build these companies and careers and stopped studying with Joe, uh, then Joe, of course, passed away. Um, it's like I'm picking it back up again from that. And that's just so extraordinary to me because Joe was one of the greatest drummers and drum instructors in, in the history of drumming, always will be. He left a, a legacy that's uh, just, you know, unto itself. And Dom has taken that and taken other legacies as significant, like uh, Jim Chapin's and George Stone and Sanford Moeller and, Billy Gladstone and Shelley Mann and these incredible, incredible drum innovators of how to perfect technique so that whatever you hear in your head, whatever you want to play, you have the facility to. And Don Femularo is just, um, he's been a huge game changer for me. And, and then on top of that, because I have Modern Drummer, and because I have many other businesses and projects going along, uh, we have a lot of synergy that we can do projects together and really, you know, make a mark on the drumming world. Um, and I, of course, you know, I, my whole life has been in some way, shape or form been connected to drums because that's what I started playing when I was two and I got the eye cancer. And, uh, and it was really, um, you know, it was really a big part of getting me through the trauma was music and drumming. I'm, I'm astounded. I'm, I'm almost speechless because I'm thinking to myself, this man has accomplished so much in one lifetime, more than you know anybody could imagine. But despite all of your successes, despite all of your achievements, you're still learning. You're still a student. Yes, always. And, and try to seek out the best teachers. Just like I want to be the best teacher to my students, I seek out the best teachers that can help me at the level I'm at now 
Um, because as you keep growing, you know, the teacher has to, you know, be a few steps ahead. So it's, uh, it's awesome uh, with Don Famularo. And, you know, uh, when you talk about growing and learning, I've published three books. I've had three books published, I should say. Inside Editions, who's a great publisher, uh, gave me the honor of signing me to my first book, Clint Eastwood Icon, which is about celebrating all of Clint Eastwood's films through movie posters and original movie art which I got Clint involved in, and he really got behind it and loves the book. Then we did a revised and expanded edition as my second release, and then Crash, the World's Greatest Drum Kits, is my third book, and uh, they're all available on Amazon. They're all, you know, Barnes & Noble, wherever, um, and it's they're books that are labors of love, but when I went to create my first book, Clint Eastwood Icon, I had never done a book before. And I, but I understood that the book world had a lot of similarities to the record world, where an artist gets signed to a label and then they collaborate with the, you know, the partners of the label to produce a finished product and then the label helps them promote it. And I understood that the book world had a lot of similarities to that, where an author will get signed by a publisher and then the publisher will help them create the book and then the publisher will help in the promotion of the book. And so uh, it turns out that it, there were a lot of similarities. And so I went and I did some mock chapters of this book I had proposed in my head, Clint Eastwood Icon, which it wasn't called that then. It was basically called Clint Eastwood Poster Book as a working title because I needed to get the point across really, really clearly. And through a lot of a long story that I won't bore the, uh, the listeners with, I was able to get the book signed by Inside Editions. I got to... A friend of mine, Diana Ahn, who worked at Warner Brothers for a lot of years, helped me go through the process, get to Clint, get him on board, and got me to a gentleman named Raul Goff, who's an innovative visionary in the publishing world, owns Inside Editions, among other uh, publishing companies, does a lot of books every year from Harry Potter to Batman to a million others, and um, he really liked the project. And so I was able to get to him, and he signed me, and we did this, and the book's been really successful, and it came out great. They're coffee table books. And I just learned through being an author how to be an author and how to get a book published and all the way to seeing it. You know, I'll never forget the first time I walked into Barnes & Noble, and there's my book on the shelf. A year after I had been, you know, laboring over not only learning but producing and creating this actual book, I almost started to cry. There's the book that I created that, you know, is part of me. And there it is on the shelf. And then did it two more times. So um, it's just, you know, great feeling and a great way to learn. I know exactly what you mean. Um, a few years ago, I had my first fiction novel published um, in the UK. Um, and it was available in the shops and everything else. And I remember, you, you, you'll you understand what I mean by this. I remember being on the train, um, I don't know, I was going to work, and I saw a woman with a copy of my book in her hand, and she was reading it. And you know what? I spent so long staring at her that I missed my stop. <laughs> <laughs> I totally know what you mean. That's just awesome. There's no, right because this is the art that we put. You know, we wear our heart on our sleeve, and we hope that people are are enjoy it as much as we did creating it. We're creating art that we love ourselves. We're not asking people to to buy something that we don't think is great. We're asking them to buy something that we think is going to enrich their lives, which is why we created it in the first place. And when you actually see it happen, it's surreal. I would have missed my stop, too, if I were on that train and, and they had one of my books on their lap. It would have just been, it's just very personal, right? It's just very personal. Yeah, I, I, I suspect that woman thought I was a bit of a stalker or something because she did notice me. But um, and I, <laughs> I, I, I think she looked a bit worried. But, you know, we're British, so we never, we never make a fuss about anything. Oh, that's great. That's great. <laughs> okay, let, let's dip along to the future now. 
um, you've handled the present with infinite ease. So I, I get a feeling that you're going to handle the future with just as much uh, expertise here. We're going to be traveling, say, 100 years into the future. Now, I don't know whether I'm going to be around, but I suspect you probably will be because you've got all this energy stored up. Um, but Tomorrow is promised to no person. Very wise words. Very wise words. Tell me, David, in 100 years' time, what would you like your legacy to be? What would you like to be remembered for? I would like it to be inspiring. I, I want what I'm leaving for the world to, to bring inspiration and, and faith and hope to people. They don't have to be kids, although my foundation is focused on kids. Um, and the reason for that is because I believe that's when you make your biggest mark. You know, when you can get to a child in need early, they chances are they're going to take that with them for the rest of their life. So you make the biggest impact. But I want to be—I want to be a source of inspiration, and I want to do it through my books, through my foundation, through my museum. So that would be drumming and technology. And I want kids to hear my story and apply it to their own lives. Um, I'm not interested in that, okay, it's a great story, it's got a lot of celebrities and a lot of cool moments and a lot of funny moments and, and all that's great, but that's, you know, there's a lot of great stories out there. What I want them to get from it is how they can apply it to their own lives and say, okay, wait a second, this kid came from nothing, which we didn't really cover in the interview, right, but I, if we talk about my upbringing, it's not one that had a lot of means. Uh, my mom and dad were the most loving, nurturing parents you could ever imagine. I'll, I love them to the end of this earth. They've, they're no longer with us. My dad passed in 96 and my mom in 04, but they're with me every moment of every day. And what they did in their lifetimes for me and with me was give me the wealth of love. And they overcompensated with love for what we didn't have materially and monetarily. And so I had all of this love and support. Um, and so through that and through finding some great mentors, uh, I was able to have faith. And with faith, I just went for it. And, you know, my dad was a meat cutter. My mom was a legal secretary. So you, you can't say I knew anybody in the entertainment business. Um, I mean, we didn't even serve hamburgers or write contracts up for them in my family. So <laughs> there's no connection to them. And I started from scratch. And um, and so the lesson to take from that to apply to each child's life is, okay, where am I right now as a child and what's possible? And because you don't always know how you're going to get there. But if you have the faith and you really have the drive and you keep going forward, and I know this from actual experience, right, that things connect and things start to happen and all of a sudden, you look back and you see how you got there. But you would have never seen that in the front. So then how do you get there, right? It's, it almost sounds like, you know, like, like you said, a paradox. Well, the fact is that that's where faith comes in. And so you hear the words all the time, have faith, um, you know, don't stop, you know, all these great sayings. But I want my life to be an example of that so someone can take it and apply it to their own and then have it make a difference and if it's only one little thing that makes a difference and then they you know they'll get from other places as well uh, inspiration and and information then they put it all together and i've made a difference i think you're well on your way towards achieving that goal david um i I, I i have thousands and thousands and thousands of questions to ask you and but i've got a note here from my producer saying we've gone over david we've gone over our interview time by almost half an hour can you believe that <laughs> no it's flown and i hope the listeners are enjoying this as much as we are and thank you, Kizzy, for the opportunity to spend the time with you and share our experiences together with your listeners. And um, I just hope that it's been worth their time and that, it, you know, we've helped them. David, it's been an absolute honor. Thank you so much for your time today. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. Well, David's incredibly inspiring story is a great reminder that in a world full of game players, the only way to set yourself apart is to be a game changer. And in a hundred years from now, when people are talking about you, you want them to say, you didn't play the game, you changed the game. And like David, 
you stay true to yourself and never compromise your integrity. Your success was built on your terms. Listen, learn and innovate. Playing us out is a track called, uh, I'm going to say the first time. Is it okay if we play the first time, do you think? Yeah, let's play it. Danny Wood is a member of the New Kids on the Block. He did solo albums two of which he asked me to mix. We go back 30 years. I worked with the new kids way back when they first broke out, and I still do projects with them to this day. He is an amazing person and friend, and um, his music is incredible. I keep telling him we gotta, we got to present this to the Grammys because what Danny's done, his solo work, I just think is so great. Um, and it's very different from the new kids, but it's just awesome. And, um, you know, I hope everybody likes it. I think, I think the songs are great. I think you're right. And I'm sure our listeners are going to agree with you. This is the first time featuring David Frangioni and Danny Wood. See you next week. touch with Kizzy's Friday Game Changers by emailing FridayGameChangers at email.com and follow us on Twitter by searching for Kizzy's Friday Game Changers. All that we've been through It's like the first time It won't be the last time you light up my life I'm asking